Well, good morning to those of you in the uh, Modern Worship Service in our Fellowship Hall. Welcome. And for all of you online that are listening as well, we welcome you to our preaching time. Turn to Exodus chapter 12 this morning. This is where we're going to spend our time looking at this incredible event. And you know, in the 1930s, God called a young man, a simple man, but a son of a dairy farmer in Charlotte, North Carolina. He came to him and he said, I have a job for you to do. It's really simple. Preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. And Billy Graham did that incredibly well, didn't he? What an incredible servant of the Lord that went home. I love those billboard signs that are on the side of uh, interstates. Gone home. And uh, he has indeed gone home. And his life, as you read and as you watch, as I have over the last few days, his life is really marked uh, by the the movement of God, the movement of the gospel, uh, not only in the United States, but really all around the world. This movement of uh, of the gospel based on the simplicity and authority of the word of God. It's a powerful combination of what God did in the life of this servant that was just surrendered to him. And we see this in the life of Moses as well. Moses is called to do a simple task. He thought his life was done as far as big tasks, responsibilities. He's on the backside of the desert. He's 80 years old. And God speaks to him out of this burning bush and said, Here's the simple task that I've given you, Moses. Take the people of Israel that are in bondage in Egypt and lead them into the promised land. And this is where we are headed in really this new sub-series of our reading plan, the promised land. And it was a simple task, but as we've learned over the last few days, it's a simple thing, a simple mission, but it's pretty complex and pretty complicated when it comes to being carried out. So this past week in our reading plan, we've seen how that God began to work and to move. By the authority and the simplicity of Moses simply saying, this is what the Lord says. Because standing in the way of the people leaving is the king of Egypt named Pharaoh. And his heart is embittered against the children of Israel and this thought that they would leave him and go out and worship because they were very valuable to him. They were his workforce. They were his slave force. And so we see this clash And the ten plagues where God rains down his power and God rains down against Pharaoh and against Egypt. Different plagues that that really destroy the land. That really, really buckle the people, but it doesn't buckle Pharaoh. So finally, God says, it's time. According to God's timetable, he is ready to move the people out of slavery, out of Egypt, and head them towards the promised land. And he's going to do it through one powerful event called the Passover. And that's what we want to look at this morning in Exodus chapter 12. A movement of God by the, by the word of God to move the people of God to a new place. But here's the picture, and and in our services, hopefully you've been able to capture this as well. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians that Christ is our Passover lamb. So as you think of the Exodus, way back here in the book of Exodus, the Exodus being the people leaving and moving into, headed towards a new place, I want you to have that as a frame of reference for what Christ will do through the gospel. 
through the cross of Jesus Christ. An exodus, if you will, a coming out, a moving into something new in our lives where Christ sets us free. So there's parallels here between the Passover, the nation of Israel, and the gospel leading us into freedom. What a beautiful, beautiful time we're going to have in the Word today, I pray, as God opens it up to us. And to read the Word of God for us is, uh, you know, there's no other way to um, communicate this. She is the most beautiful, wonderful 16-year-old girl on planet Earth. And it is my daughter. So Emma Grace, my firstborn, would you please come and read the Word of God? Will you stand? Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 7, and then 11 through 13 this morning. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for each household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. And you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they, they, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of each of the houses in which they eat. Then in verses 11 through 13 it says, In this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste, for it is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Thank you, sweetheart. You may be seated. May the Lord bless the reading and the teaching of his word this morning. I, I want to pray at the beginning of our time because uh, this is such an important passage. They all are. But here, here's what I want you to realize, folks. We are coming to the Lord's table. So I don't see the, I see the trays. We didn't do that today. We didn't do the little wafers. We didn't. But every time we come, to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're coming to eat. You're coming to, to partake. And so this morning, here, here was my prayer as I drove in, and my prayer in the first hour, and it's my prayer this hour. I want this to be simply more than the communication of a wonderful story that I've heard and you've heard ever since you were in VBS and there were flannel graphs on the board. Remember those? I want this more than simply to be an in and out, I've got many things to do, what is next? I want this to be an encounter with Jesus and his gospel for you this morning. And so this week as we read, there's this one phrase that jumped out at me. When Moses begins to carry out his calling, he goes into Pharaoh and um, he begins to tell him this is what God's going to do. And Pharaoh makes the work even harder. And the people are so upset. And we come to the end, I believe it's chapter 5, the very, the very end of chapter 5, and Moses uh, comes back to the people, and God tells them, this is what you're going to tell them. This is what's going to happen. Here comes the exodus. This is going to be amazing. I'm going to pull, I'm going to take the people, and we're going to move out. You're going to move into a promised land, milk and honey. This is going to be awesome. And here's this phrase, and it's frightening in one sense because it says, and the people did not listen to the words of Moses because of their bitter spirit and harsh 
slavery. Here is my assumption that many of you this morning have a spirit that might not be well. It might be bitter. It might be tangled up. It might be hurt. You might have an oppression of some sort. We could say oppression to sin overall. We, we are, yes, that, that is, there is that. There's guilt, but it could be something that has you locked down this morning and you walk in these doors with the spirit that is turned a little bit or maybe all tangled up or you come in with oppression with the chains on you and the back of your neck and your shoulders just ache because you are burdened down. Here's my prayer. The Lord opens up the truth of the gospel to us this morning, and it frees us just as it freed the Egyptians back in Exodus. Will you pray with me right now? Dear Lord, here's my simple prayer. Take your word and your story and your gospel and bring it to life. Change minds and change hearts this morning. May there be repentance and faith. May there be renewal and may there be change and may there be conviction and may there be comfort. Lord, speak this morning through your word to your people, the sheep of your pasture. And we prayed in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. First of all, we want to see the what of the Passover. What is it? What is this significant event in the life of the Jewish people and the life of, of the Christian faith? Both Judaism and Christians have this event as one of these signature events of their entire history. And here's what is happening. God has come to Moses and Aaron and said, this Passover event is unique. I want you to carry it out. He gives specific instructions not only on how to carry it out, but how to remember it for generations and generations and generations to come so that Jews, beginning uh, in March, the so last week in March, first week in April, they will celebrate what? The Passover. Continues on and on and on. And so the what of this event, you heard Emma Grace read how that in verses 1 and 2, here, here's the first thought. This is a new beginning. The what of the Passover, it's a, we're going to begin our history of Israel. We're going to reorder it and reframe it as a new beginning. And so the death of this lamb that is the centerpiece of Exodus chapter 12 is going to launch the people into a new beginning. God says it's a new month. This is a new start. It's a new year. This is so central to reordering your lives, Israel, that it is brand new. But then second of all, the lamb is the centerpiece of all of this. God in his power has rained down miracle upon miracle. I mean, he has been able to cause frogs to cover the land, light, lice to cover the land, water turned to blood, darkness that they couldn't see. He has been able to rain down hail. He's caused the death of livestock. He's done all of these miracles. And here's the crazy thing. Over in the land of Goshen where the children of Israel are, that stuff doesn't happen. It's one thing to be a God who's so powerful, he makes these things happen. It's another God to say, you can come this far, but no more. And God miraculously does these powerful things, but he comes to the nation of Israel. And he says, by my mighty strong hand, the psalmist writes, I'm going to free you, but here is your expression of faith. It's a helpless, weak, little 
lamb. He's a male. You read it? Without blemish. He's got to be in good condition. And you go out, Israel, and you need to get ready to go, but you, you need to, first of all, go out and get this lamb, and on the 10th day, you secure it. Maybe it's from your own flock. Maybe you have to go purchase it. But on the 10th day, you go out and you secure this lamb, and it's yours. And you can't let the little kiddos get too attached to this lamb. He's going to be roaming around the house. Because in four days, he's been chosen, he's been selected, he's been separated, and he's going to be slaughtered. You keep him over there. You hear him. You watch him. That's the one. Isn't it amazing that God in his great, great power and strength, out of all he did for Pharaoh, comes to his people and says, I am asking you to express your faith through the most weak, helpless animal known to mankind. This little lamb. I love this picture here. It's a, a painting by a Spanish painter. And it's, um, the original is there in Madrid. The not-so-original that I copied on copy paper in my office hangs on my right-hand side in my study. But you take this lamb on day 14. Now, imagine the scene. Immigrants just read it. And then at twilight, everyone is going to go out and they are going to sacrifice these lambs. Now, the scriptures tell us later on in Exodus 12, there were 600,000 men. That's not counting women and children who get up and who leave. Can you imagine how many of these lambs are going to be slaughtered at twilight? Can you imagine that scene? And it's all because God says, I, I want to send you out on a new mission. And you have to express faith in this little lamb. Verses 7 through 10. Let's go ahead and read it together. Get the full picture here of what God is encouraging his people to do. He's gonna, it's a new beginning. The centerpiece is the lamb. But then in verse 7, then in verse 7, it's gonna be a me- there's going to be a meal and they're going to be sent out from Egypt. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts of the lintel of the house in which they eat it. And they shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water. Put it on the, put it on the, the egg there. But roast it, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn, and in this manner you eat it. Now here it is, with your belt fastened, with your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So here's what they're to do. They're to kill all of these lambs, take the blood, put it on the, on the doorposts. Talk about that in just a second. But then they're to eat this meal. Bitter herbs, unleavened bread. Sounds wonderful right before lunch, doesn't it? Sounds tasty. You're to eat it, and you're to eat it in haste. In other words, this is not, you got your comfy slippers on, you got your bathrobe, you put the TV trays up, and you're watching the game. That's, this isn't it. This is get ready to go. Because the death of a lamb signals this. There is a new beginning. There is a new place to go. You're not to remain where you are. Egypt is no longer your home. If it is your home, you're going to miss out. 
You are to kill and to eat and get ready to move. I'm sending you out of here, not just to rescue you, not just to free you, but I'm going to demonstrate my power so that when you get to the Red Sea, so that when you get out into the wilderness and you don't know where the bread's going to come from, you don't know where the water's going to come from, when you get out in the wilderness and it's 40 years and you're crying out to me, and when you come into the new land and when you see in the new land all of the people groups that are there and they want to kill you, I want you to remember this, that the Passover was the day that I signaled my power for a new mission. So eat it in haste. Run. Any given day, you can get in the backseat of my car and you can probably see some fast food bag behind there. I'm always on the run. It's pretty embarrassing when you walk into a fast food place and you're exchanging the trash from an old fast food place into their place, into their trash can. Always on the move. Always on the go. This is the mindset. This is not our place. This is not our home. Egypt is not here, even though we're comfortable, even though now slavery has come, and now it is harsh, and even now it is severe. They'll get out in the wilderness, and what will they say? Oh, we wish we had it way back here. And the Exodus symbolizes the gospel of Jesus Christ says the power of the gospel just isn't limited to when you were freed from sin. The power of the gospel continues to work through your salvation, through you being purified, through you being made holy, through you walking through the wilderness, through you walking into the new land, through all of the challenges, the power of the gospel that is way over here sends you on a mission, and it's a down payment on the power of the gospel working in you over here. So when I was a little boy, I prayed to receive Jesus. I opened up my heart to him as best as I could. A little town called Windsor, North Carolina, Bertie County, up in the northeast corner of North Carolina. My grandma played the piano every single Sunday morning, every single Sunday night, every single Wednesday night. Sat in the front row right there as grandma played right there. She had her eye on me. <laughs> One day I heard the gospel, the good news that Christ had died for my sins. And I, and I came, and I, 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 I came down front. No one, no one counseled me. No one came up. Hey, little fellow, what's going on here? None of that. And I'm just laying there on the altar. I just put my head in my, my face. And I, all I said was, Jesus, I do, I, I know I'm a sinner. I open up my life to you as best as I know. How will you save me? And that moment, God began to do a work. The power of the gospel transformed. If any person is in Christ, Paul wrote, he is a new creation. He is a new creature. All the old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That moment, God began to work and God began to grow. But here's the thing. If I'm relying on that gospel that I prayed at that altar of faith in there, if that's the only thing I'm banking, if that's the only evidence of the power of God in my life, that's not a very powerful gospel. Either that or I'm sorely mistaken. And when God says, here's the exit, how many times does he say in Psalms, remember the Passover? It's like three or four times in Exodus chapter 12. This is for all generations. This is for all people. So that they, so what? So that you remember that the power of God is there. And when David says that, when the psalmist cries out to God, oh people, remember how God by his mighty hand moved you out of Egypt into the promised land. He's just not saying that so that intellectually, oh yeah, I remember the flamograph story way back when I was when I was a little boy. He's saying that to remind you that the power of God still remains in the new land, just like it did in the old land. 
So the death of a lamb, Israel, God says, is the beginning of something new, but it'll continue through you. But secondly, secondly, the why of the Passover. The why of the Passover. Why does he do this? Verse 12. You read it. Or Emma Grace read it for us. Look at it again. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and animal, and in all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgment. Great line there. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I'll pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Here's the why of the Passover. is that the judgment of God was being poured out on rebellion against him. God is a holy God. We saw that from the very beginning. Genesis 1 creates everything. It's perfect and it's good. Genesis 2 and Genesis 3. Then the whole thing begins to unravel. And there's this separation, this rebellion of the heart against God. And God has to deal with that because he's, he's holy. He's, he's righteous. He's, he's perfect. And as we saw in Noah and the flood, he dealt with sin. He, he judged it. As he does throughout the scriptures, God comes in and, and corrects and punishes and, and judges. But this is a symbol of God's judgment against a rebellious heart. And we see it in Pharaoh. We see it in Pharaoh, who is the central antagonist here against Moses, against Aaron, against God. And it says over and over, I don't know how many times, I didn't count it, maybe you did in your journal. How many times? And Pharaoh either hardened his heart or God hardened Pharaoh's heart. It wasn't as if God had to do, uh, or Pharaoh had to say or do anything to displease God. Right? I mean, he comes out of the womb displeasing God, rebellious against God. So God sees his heart. God hardens his heart so that he can get glory, it says, over him. But here's the point. Judgment is coming down on the Egyptians because of a rebellious spirit against God. And here is where stubbornness comes in. Here is where sin comes in. Because it's easy for me to read this story. I've heard it a thousand times. And to say, oh, King Pharaoh, what an awful king. Man, what a bad, bad king he was, making those people work like that. And he had the gods of Egypt. And oh, man, that's how awful. And then not look in the mirror and say, Paul, how many times are you stubborn? How many times do you, do you harden your heart against me or against others or against your... Do you have a soft heart? Um, here, here's how stubbornness works. Here's how rebellion works. Some of it is very defiant. Some of it is very in your face. Some of it is very pharaoh, very macho, very... Okay, take me on then. I'm going I'm to defy you because of his power, because of who he was. Sometimes rebellion is very passive. Sometimes rebellion is very quiet. Sometimes stubbornness is very soft and it's very subversive, but it's very powerful. Either way, when we look at the heart of Pharaoh, we would be wise not to go, oh, what an incredibly wicked man, and not look inside our hearts and say, oh, what incredibly wicked people we are. And here's what the death of a lamb does. 
The death of the Lamb exposes and then condemns because the judgment of God upon sin and rebellion, the blind stubbornness of our sinful hearts. I mean, here is Pharaoh. He is so stubborn. He is so singularly focused on what he wants to keep the people in. The, you ever been in an argument like this? You ever been in a relationship like this? I mean, one thing leads to another thing, leads to another thing, leads to another thing, and you're trapped and you can't get out of it. Pharaoh's trapped. He's so stubborn. I'm not going to let you go. And, so, and then he'll bring Moses in. Oh, maybe I'll let you go. And then, no, no, fool. You. you can't go. And he's so blind to what he's doing to the people around him. I mean, the nation's being destroyed. His counselors come to him and they say, Pharaoh, the land is being destroyed. What do you think? And people are dying. Our economy, our future. No. That's the picture of our heart. And God says, because that heart is raised up against me in judgment, I must judge that heart. And so here is the cost. Here's the cost. Something must die. And the choice in verses 12 and 13 is either the firstborn or a substitute, the lamb. God's wrath coming down on the Egyptians, on the nation, and God will demand a price because of his holiness, because of his nature. He'll demand a price, and that is either the firstborn, their mind, or the lamb. And here's what the death of a lamb does. The death of a lamb exposes our stubborn, sinful, rebellious hearts. Can you imagine at twilight? Can you imagine at twilight? Hundreds of thousands of these men walk out and got this lamb and they're dragging the lamb i don't know where where do you kill a lamb front yard the backyard driveway i don't know can you imagine the noise can you imagine the noise and and, and then the, the the fathers raise that knife up they raise that knife up and right into the heart right into the gut right wherever it is just blood oozing out lambs crying kids in the house crying just bedlam everywhere that lamb just goes to death and the, and the dad goes hey quick 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 get the blood i mean how do you get the blood i don't know <laughs> do you have a bucket underneath there think about it. what do you do quick quick son grab grab it grab it grab a brush put it on there put it on one doorpost put it on the other door put it on the top put it on there quick dad is that enough i don't know if it's enough but just do it anyway. We got, this is, this is I, I, we have to do something because God is asking us. He's, he's going to make the people pay a price for the rebellion and their sin. And two thoughts run, run through my head when I think of, of the lamb, the death of a lamb, is it exposes my sinful heart because that lamb is dead and bleeding. That was supposed to be, be me. That was supposed to be, and it shows my sin. But here's the second thing. When they put the blood on the door and the angel of death comes through on that evening, here is what it says, that God has seen the faith and he will redeem those destined for destruction. This is what the lamb does. The death of the lamb condemns our sin, but the death of the lamb also <laughs> redeems those who are destined for destruction. My firstborn just read the scripture. Her life, if I'm an Egypt, if I'm a he Israeli or, or an Egyptian, it would be her life or a lamb's life. And can you imagine the daddies as, as they painted on the door and midnight comes? Can you imagine them hovering over their family saying, God, I, I pray you'll be true to your word. God, I pray that you'll be faithful to what you say. 
God, I'm expressing my faith through the Lamb because, because I know this is the substitute that you require, God. Oh, God, you're holy. God, you're powerful. But would you be merciful to me? Would you be merciful to my family? Would you be merciful to my house? Households were a big, big deal. I listened to a sermon this week. Back in, the, back in those days, it was, we're so individualistic now in our Western culture. Households were a big deal. And, and you were shamed if your household called, embarrassed you. But you, as the Father, you long for your household to be saved. You long for your household to be preserved. And watch what happens. The why of the Passover is because the judgment of God is poured out. But he wants to rescue people from bondage. He wants to free them to walk into God's provision of a new life. But watch what happens. Look at verse 29. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was this great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night, and he said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. So as the angel of death goes over, flies over Egypt, and he looks, and sees the, the, the blood is on the door of, of, the, of the people there, and then when he comes over to Egypt, the firstborn are dead. You know, this, a couple weeks ago, when, when the news came out about the shooting in, in South Florida, I still remember this, this one mom, maybe you saw it, she was on the news, and I remember she had her cell phone. She was carrying her cell phone. And she, she looked at the camera and she said, she said, I want you to do something about this killing. I mean, any mom would say this. Any dad would say this. Absolutely. I want you to do something about this killing because I've just spent the last two, two hours planning the funeral of my, of my child. She's pouring out the grief. Now, multiply that by 17 funerals that have taken place or will take place over this time. Imagine the grief of this community. And then imagine now the grief pouring out of Egypt. Everyone from Egypt to the slave girl crying out because of the death. And it grieves our heart to think of the death and destruction that will come from those that do not express faith in the Lamb. Here's where we pause right here. And we say, listen, some of you this morning, listen, listen, some of you this morning are seated here and you have not expressed your faith in the Lamb of God. You haven't. I know you haven't. We just kill the numbers. Some of you listening uh, online, we're in the other room, here's the thing. Some of you have played church, or maybe some of you are guests and you don't know what church is all about. I don't know where you are in the spectrum, but here's the bottom line. With as many people here, there's no way not. Every single individual, man and woman, boy and girl, listening this morning has expressed their faith in the Lamb. This sense that God has judged me for my rebellion and my sin against Him. There's a substitute, though. There's a substitute, and the substitute is, is the lamb. And for some of you this morning, here is the transaction that needs to take place. You take the lamb, the lamb of God who was slain on the cross. 
And you hold it up to God and say, God, here is Jesus. I don't deserve rescue. I don't deserve redemption. I deserve death and destruction just like in Egypt. But you in your mercy have given me a lamb. And through him, I long for forgiveness and grace and mercy and a new life. Will you do that this morning? That's the call for some of you. And then for others of us, as we look back at the Passover, and we remember, we remember the Passover. I, I, I want to take us to, to one last scene, and that's Jesus. Jesus in the Passover. He's, he's participating in the meal. He's eating the meal. I mean, this very, this very same meal that he is to eat for the purposes of remembering, just like the children of Israel, remembering what God has done. And he's there, and he's got the bread, and he's got the wine, and he's walking through the meal. Can you picture this? I mean, Jesus, as the head of the household, so to speak, is leading them through this. And he gets to the, he gets to the part about the bread, and instead of saying, this is the bread of affliction, this is the bread of suffering, this is the bread of slavery and bondage that was exchanged for the manna and the wilderness when they came into a new land, he, Jesus looks at them, he doesn't say that, and he breaks it, and he says, eat this, this is my body that was broken for you. And then he takes the cup. We don't know exactly. There's different iterations about what the cup means in, in different circles, in different Jewish circles, but we only see Jesus taking the cup twice there in the Lord's Supper. And the cup in the Old Testament meant that the wrath of God is there and those who are in judgment drink it down. But then there's other passages which talk about the cup of salvation that offers sweet, refreshing, renewing wine into the, into the body. And so Jesus looks at them and he says, here's my, here's my body that's broken for you. Here is the cup. I'm going to drink it down. I'm going to drink down the wrath of God to spare you from sin. And instead, I'm going to offer you the cup of freedom and salvation. I'm going to offer you the cup of being renewed and forgiven forever. Drink it. And as often as you drink it, do it in remembrance, not of the exodus, but of the gospel, of the cross. And when Jesus asks us to come to the table, and partake of his gospel, and partake of the Passover, and partake of his body and of his bread. We're not going to do it in a physical way today. Here's what he's asking us to do. Here's what the death of a lamb does. The death of a lamb causes us, drives us to repentance, purity, and worship. The death of the lamb liberated the people from their sin, guilt, and their fear the death of the Lamb drives us to repentance, purity, and worship. Is this what the gospel does for you this morning? I mean, think about it. Think of all that went in on that Lord's Supper. All that went around that. I mean, Judas is sitting there. Judas is going to betray him. Betrayal. The disciples on the way into Jerusalem are fighting about who's the greatest. There's pride. Peter lops off the soldier's ear there in the garden. There's impetuousness. There's just acting out on whatever you want to do. They're supposed to be praying with Jesus. This is all around the Lord's Supper. You're supposed to be praying with Jesus, but they fall asleep and they, they, they don't wake up and they, they fail spiritually. Jesus goes to the cross where his body, where his body is, 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 is broken and the blood is poured out and they, run, they don't run and worship. They run in fear. They run the other way. 
And whenever we come to the Lord's table, Paul, the Apostle Paul says, examine yourselves. Why? Because you're coming to the gospel. You're coming to the holiness and mercy and forgiveness of Almighty God. You're coming as one who is prideful, who has betrayed Jesus, who has failed spiritually. You're coming as someone who is wayward, who runs in G- from Jesus in fear, what, whatever it is. You come, all of us come to the Lord's table. We come to Christ this morning. We come to his gospel. People in need of cleansing and forgiveness and the death of a lamb, the lamb of God who laid down his life for me and you calls us to look at our sin and repent. It calls us to look at our fears and trust him. It calls us to look at the lamb of God who was slain, not at our distractions, not at our fears, not at our worries, not at our wants, not at our retirement, not at our family, not at anything out here. The Lamb of God who was slain causes us to look to Him in worship and be rescued from what enslaves us. Will you do that this morning? This is all your pastor wants for you right now is to take the gospel and either receive it this morning for the very first time. Listen, some of you, when we sing in just a second, some of you, here's your step to come down and say, Pastor, Pastor, yes, I don't know everything, but I do know this. I need Christ. There in the modern worship service, here in this room. But for some of you, it's to maybe right here, As we sing, I don't know, maybe at this altar, maybe in a bedroom, to fall on your face before the death of a lamb and say he was slain so that I could worship and be free. What will you do this morning? Let's pray together. Father, oh Lord, Would you take this gospel, the death of a lamb, and apply it? That's that's all I ask. Apply it by your Holy Spirit and change people this morning. And may we see the helplessness, the weakness, the innocence the Lamb of God quietly going to a cross to be slain blood pouring down that cross so that we might be liberated and freed Father may we dare not stay in Egypt may we dare not live under oppression and bondage may we instead look to the freedom that is ours and walk out of Egypt by the power of God. Oh Lord, change lives this morning. We pray it in Jesus' name.